Well, this time Don McKellarn's going to come on up and read our scripture today from Acts 13. So if you want to turn there, Acts chapter 13, we'll be reading verses 1 through 4 today. Acts 13, 1 to 4. Among the prophets and teachers of the church of Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manin, a childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed down to the island of Cyprus. Thanks, Don. Well, according to the most recent studies, the country of Pakistan has 835 people groups. And of those 835 people groups, 828 of them have never been reached with the good news of Jesus. That's about 226 million people, or 99% of the population of the country of Pakistan, that has essentially zero gospel presence. And that's just one country. On a global scale, just over a quarter of the world, more than two billion people, live in areas that are without any known gospel movement. And obviously, for us as Christians, when we look at that, that's a big, big problem. And the crazy thing is, it's actually the job of the local church to address that problem. In fact, the Bible tells us that it is the mandate of the local church through the work of the Holy Spirit to reach all the nations to the end of the earth with the gospel. Because God, God's heart pounds for the nations. He says that he wants every tribe, tongue, and nation to come to know him. And that should be our heart, our desire as well. But that still leaves us with the question, what is the role of the local church in global missions, specifically to those like those people in, in Pakistan who are unreached? And this is where we turn our attention to what Don just read to us from Acts 13. Because in Acts 13, it was a really unique time in the church. The church was just starting out. And, and the disciples and the Christians were told that they were to tell other people about Jesus. And so we, we see that it starts small. It starts in Jerusalem, and, and then it starts to spread from there. It spreads throughout the rest of Judea, the good news of the gospel. And from Judea, it spreads throughout Samaria. And that's where we pick it up in, in Acts 13, the beginning. It's, begin, it's beginning to spread, but it's still contained a little bit. And so that needs to spread more. And there is one church, the church in Antioch, that saw the need. And the Holy Spirit gave this church in Antioch the direction to fill that need. And Acts 13, 1-4 shows us this example and gives us guidance regarding the role of the local church and also the role of the Spirit of God in the mission of reaching the ends of the earth. And the first role that we see here from this passage in Acts 13 is the equipping of the saints. We see this in chapter 13, verse 1, which I'll read again. It says this, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, 
that kind of just seems like a list of names, right? But it's actually a very important list of names because this is a list of the leaders in the Antioch church. And two of those names should be very, very familiar to us, being Barnabas and Saul. And what we see is that these two men, Barnabas and Saul, are being equipped for missionary service by both the Spirit of God and by the local church. So we'll look first at how the Holy Spirit has equipped Barnabas and Saul for missions. So we read here in verse 1 that Saul and Barnabas are prophets and are teachers, and they're gifted in that way. And they're using those gifts that they have as prophets and teachers to serve the church in Antioch. And I'm assuming that both of these men had a major part to play in the regular teaching and preaching that went on in this local church in Antioch. They would have been expositors of the word of God. And it's very likely that, that they did this very regularly. Like week after week, they very likely were, were the teachers there. And they had this role, this role of leadership and, and of teaching and of prophesying because the Holy Spirit had specifically gifted and equipped these two men to be used for his service. And the Spirit of God has done that for all who are in Christ. We read about this in a place like Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 12, which says that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So God gave these, these roles and these gifts to people for the purpose of equipping the church. See, God gives spiritual gifts to equip his people specifically for ministry. He did it for Saul and Barnabas, giving them these gifts of, of prophecy and of, of teaching. And he continues to do this for all Christians today as well. And so we need to make sure that, that we are, are spiritually equipped for serving him. And, and God has given us those gifts to make sure that we are, in fact, equipped. And now it's our job to use those, to use those gifts that he has given us to serve. He's equipped us, we use it. 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And in the case of Saul and Barnabas, they put the gifts that the Spirit of God had given them to good use. And God eventually was going to use those gifts that he'd given Saul and Barnabas for the sake of global, of global missions. And so in that way, we see that the Holy Spirit was equipping Saul and Barnabas for this work of global mission. But we also see that the local church had a role to play in equipping these men. One way that the local church equipped Saul and Barnabas was by having them involved in church ministry, as we've already seen, right? They were, they were very, very involved in church ministry, regular teachers and preachers. Um, and, and in the midst of that involvement, that experience in the local context was actually preparing them for what they were going to do later on. It was preparing them for global missions. See, one of the best ways to prepare someone for ministry work is to get involved in doing other ministry work. You know, think about it. It would be, it'd be hard to think, yeah, I'm going to send that person to go do missions when they haven't done squat all at home, right? If they're just kind of sitting there twiddling their thumbs at home, it's like, yeah, that would be a good servant. Let's send them out. No, of course not. You equip people at home first, right? And so when, when the church gives opportunities to serve and people take that up, that is equipping them for other ministry, potentially. It can be a training ground. 
the local church setting is a training ground in doctrine, in practice, in evangelism that would all hopefully serve well on a global scale as well as a local. And so I believe this was the case for Saul and Barnabas. They had the opportunity to serve. And so uh, they, they led, they served, and, and they practiced evangelism uh, in Antioch and within the church, and that was equipping them for missionary service. About a month ago, I was reading uh, a story of, of a missionary whose name is Lillian, and, and she served with Send International. And, and Lillian's story of becoming a missionary really stuck out to me, not because it was anything extravagant, but because she shared about the role the local church played in equipping her for missions. And what this, this church did wasn't earth-shattering by any means. It was pretty normal. They faithfully taught the Bible, they provided opportunities to serve, and perhaps most importantly, they had a focus on global missions. They often had visiting missionaries share about what God was doing throughout the world, and they frequently gave a call to missions as well. And so even at a young age, these things didn't go unnoticed by little Lillian. She was only 10 years old. And at 10 years old, she had decided that one day she would participate in global missions. See, the local church had been a huge part of that passion that she had from a young age that, that she grew up still having, and then she ended up going. The church had, had equipped her with sound missional Bible teaching from a young age so that one day she would go and serve in the Philippines, which is what she did, and she could serve with confidence because she was well-equipped. See, this is one example of what it could look like to do the work of equipping a person for missionary service in the local church. And this is what we hope that, that we're doing as a church as well. That uh, when, there's, when there's opportunities uh, to, to serve, that, that we are actually equipping one another by, by participating in that. And that we're equipping each other by faithfully teaching the word of God. By keeping each other accountable through our fellowship. And, and by taking those opportunities that are there to serve. And, and the point is so that if you participate in these different things in, in the church and you're, you end up being called to global missions, you feel that you have been equipped and prepared, at least to some extent, hopefully, by the local church. That's our goal. We want to equip one another should we be called to global missions. Because equipping is an important part that we can play in global missions. Now, the second important role for global missions that we see in our text here in Acts 13 is the calling of the saints. We see this in verse 2. So it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So this verse is very clear. The Holy Spirit has sovereignly directed and called Saul and Barnabas to a specific work. He had set them apart in their life for this one specific purpose. And that doesn't mean that the work that Saul and Barnabas were already doing in Antioch wasn't meaningful, it wasn't good. It was. It was great that what they were doing in Antioch, but God had a bigger and better plan for these two men. And that plan was to call them to the specific work of bringing the gospel to unreached nations. And a calling like that from God, no matter how intimidating or how big it might seem, how scary it might be, it cannot be ignored. You have to go. When, when they were called, they were, they were just like, yeah, we've got to go. Consider uh, George Mueller. 
He was a man who, who ran orphanages for a long, long time, until the age of 70. And then at 70 years old, he felt the call to be a missionary, to, to leave the orphanages that he was running in the hands of another person. And instead of retiring like any sane 70-year-old would do, he said, no, God is calling me to missions. And so what did he do? He didn't ignore the call. He didn't make excuses and say, I think I'm too old. No, it wasn't ignored. God had called him, and so he went, even though he was active in another ministry previously. And, and, and he couldn't ignore that call. And neither could Saul or Barnabas or this, this church in Antioch. In fact, what we see the Antioch church doing is affirming the call of God for Saul and for Barnabas. And this affirming is actually one of the local church's main responsibilities regarding the calling of saints to the work of missions. Take a look here at verse 3. It says, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So they had, they had heard this call from the Holy Spirit as a church. And, and what does the church in Antioch do? They take time to fast and pray about what they had heard. And, and I think that's really wise. You know, we're not told exactly how the Spirit of God uh, had called Saul and Barnabas, whether it was, you know, like an, an audible voice or through a prophecy or whatever what was going on at the time. But what we do know is that God had called them. But, but regardless of how that calling came, the church felt the need to soak this decision of sending Saul and Barnabas in prayer. They didn't want to just send them off on a whim. You know, it wasn't just like some feeling. Ooh, you know, I had a burrito last night and I had a dream that I should be a missionary. I mean, we're going to send them off. No, it wasn't just on a whim. They soaked this decision in prayer. They wanted to make sure that Saul and Barnabas were actually, truly called by God to do this work. And so the church fasted. They prayed, we read there in verse 3. They were seeking God during this time and eventually... After a time of prayer and of fasting, they said, yes, we affirm this call of God on Saul and Barnabas' life for missionary service. And again, that's such an important role for the local church when it comes to the call of God to missions, to affirm that, yes, we as a church believe that you are indeed called. We affirm that God is calling you to missionary service. And I can testify that, that this affirmation that a church gives uh, does instill a lot of, of confidence in a person. Now, obviously, I've never been affirmed uh, in the call to be a missionary because I'm here in Swift Current, but uh, I have been affirmed in the call to pastoral ministry, and I, I had the privilege of uh, being affirmed in the church that I was serving at previously when I was an intern, and uh, I, I felt like I was probably called. I thought, I think God wants me to be a pastor. But to be honest, there were times where I had doubts. There were times, I don't know, maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to do. Maybe I'd be better suited doing something else. I didn't know what that was, but, but there were the, this glimmer of, of doubt. And then one Sunday, in the morning service, the elders of that church called me up on stage, and they affirmed, they laid their hands on me, and they affirmed that God had called me to pastoral ministry. And after that moment, that glimmer of doubt that I had, it was gone completely because this local church that I had been serving in said, yes, we are confident that God is calling you to this work. 
And then I had so much confidence. And I'm sure that Saul and Barnabas also had a similar confidence when the church affirmed the fact that yes, they are indeed called. Because they knew that the church had been seeking God and had now affirmed that they were called to a new frontier. They were called to deliver the gospel to the ends of the earth. Well, finally, we get to the third role for global missions, which is the sending of the saints, which we read about here in verses 3 and 4. So it says again in verse 3, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So what we see in these verses is that Saul and Barnabas are sent by both the Holy Spirit and the local church. And it's in verse 4 there that we see very clearly that it's the Spirit of God that is sending them to begin this missionary journey. The same Spirit that has equipped these two men, that has called these two men, has now also sent them. But the sending that the Holy Spirit does is, is really unique. You know, when we think about sending, I think oftentimes we would think about like, you know, sending someone away, we stay here and they go. It's like if, if I was at home, I'm sitting on the couch, Joelle was doing dishes and she was frustrated that I wasn't helping. Maybe there's another chore that she would send me off to do. It's like, Joe, I'm gonna send you off to go do, do you know, a grocery run. And so she would stay home, continue to do the dishes and I would go do the grocery run, right? I was sent, I'm on my own. That's how we think of this sending. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, the sending that he does is different because he sends, yes, but he's actually also with you as he sends you. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave Saul and Barnabas alone to fend for themselves in these uncharted waters of global missions because this, this hadn't happened before. There was never, ever anyone else who had gone past the border of Samaria they would have been completely alone if that's how the Holy Spirit worked, but it's not. He went with them. He doesn't just say, you know, good luck, see ya, sayonara. No, the Holy Spirit is with them. And that's what Jesus says, in fact, in Matthew 28, when he gives the Great Commission. He, he sends out the 12 and us by extension. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. And how does he end that verse? He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's a promise of Jesus that no Christian is sent out alone. And that means that the Holy Spirit was with Saul and Barnabas. He was, he was leading, he was guiding them. And more than that, the Holy Spirit actually probably went before Saul and Barnabas. The, the Holy Spirit was preparing the hearts of those who, who, they, would, uh, who they would preach to and teach and, and preparing their hearts to accept the good news so that their ministry would bear fruit. See, this calling that Saul and Barnabas had was not one that could be accomplished by man alone. They needed the help of God. And so they weren't sent out to be alone. They went out with God indwelling them and leading and guiding them. And the amazing thing is, we're not sent out to be alone either. We can be confident, whether we're making disciples here at home, whether we're making disciples abroad, that the Spirit of God is always, always with us, just as he was with Saul and Barnabas. And that's good news. Now, we also see here that the local church in Antioch is responsible for sending Saul and Barnabas as well, which we saw in verse 3. It says that they, they were sent by the church. And this, I think, is the first example of what we would call today a sending church. 
That's, that's a common phrase that we hear today in churches as well. And I think that there are three main things that we can glean from Antioch's example in being a sending church. So first we see that the church commissions and dedicates their missionaries. So if we look at verse three again, I think that what we're reading about there, about this fasting and praying, this laying of the hands on and then sending them off, I think what we're reading about there is the very first commissioning service where the leaders of church, they, they lay their hands on Saul and Barnabas, they pray for them and then send them out as global missionaries. See, this commissioning service was to signify that the church was not only sending Saul and Barnabas, but they were also endorsing, they were identifying and uniting with them in the ministry that they were called to do. Basically, by having this commissioning service, they're publicly saying that we as a church in Antioch are with these two men. We stand by the ministry of sharing the gospel that these two are called to do. And I think that leads us into another thing that we see this sending, uh, sending church do for their missionaries, which is supporting them. And I would contend that this support that the church in Antioch gives is twofold. It's prayerful support and financial support. So prayer support is seen pretty obviously, uh, obviously here throughout Acts 13 and basically every aspect. In the equipping, they, they would have prayed for, for their leaders. In, uh, in the calling, very clearly, they prayed about that. And now in the sending, they're praying once again. And there's no reason to think that that prayer would stop once they were actually sent out, especially considering how this church has said that they were uniting with these two in this ministry. You know, consider what, uh, what Paul has to say to a different church in Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, uh, where we read that there's this expectation that Paul has for, for churches that he has been a part of, that are part of his ministry to pray for him. He says this to that church. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. See, again, there's this expectation that the Colossian church would support Paul in prayer, that he would have opportunities, that he would have wisdom, that doors would be open, and that he would have boldness to share the gospel. And this prayerful support would also have been an expectation and home base at Antioch. So ascending church supports prayerfully, but ascending church also supports financially. In, in reading Acts 13, it's assumed that when Saul and Barnabas are sent off by this church, that they're not sent off empty-handed. You know, if this church was really standing by them and supporting them in this work, they certainly would have given them some level of resources as they went. And we know that later on in Paul's life, there were other churches who had partnered with him and supported him financially. For instance, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, which says, Paul's writing to this church and he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So there's this church that was supporting Paul's needs as a missionary. And in 3 John, we also read the importance of supporting those who have been sent out to share the name of Christ. And so with all of these examples in mind, we know that ascending church should always ensure that they support their missionaries. Financially, yes, but also, as mentioned before, with their prayers. 
Now there's one other thing that we see ascending church should do with their missionaries, and that is uh, to encourage and to celebrate their missionaries. If you're still in Acts 13, just turn the page over to Acts chapter 14, uh, verses 24 to 28. I'll read these few verses here because this is after Saul and Barnabas have returned from their first missionary journey. They were sent out and then a chapter later they come back. And this is what we read, starting in verse 24. And they, being Saul and Barnabas, passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained, and they remained no little time with the disciples." So because Saul and Barnabas and the sending church in Antioch were all partners in the mission work, at the end of this missionary journey, they got together for a report. But it was more than just a report of this trip. Uh, more than just, you know, it's like, you know, just a statement of facts and it's like, oh, that's good to hear. This was, this was a time to check in on each other. This was a time to celebrate, to, to participate in mutual encouragement, to share what God had done in the nations and to celebrate together the many that had come to Christ as a result of Saul and Barnabas' work as they were out and of this mutual ministry that the church in Antioch had uh, um, participated in. And notice verse 28 here as well. It says that this time together of encouragement happened for no little time. So Saul and Barnabas stayed for a good amount of time with their sending church because this mutual encouragement they recognized and the church recognized was such an important thing for both the missionaries and for the church. Because a time like that would have refreshed and rejuvenated all the parties involved to, to continue together in this ministry, that the gospel might continue to go forth. And maybe you've noticed this refreshment and rejuvenation as we've had missionaries come, whether that's uh, for Mission Sunday or different times throughout the year as missionaries uh, are, are here. I know I've felt that. Even last week when uh, Gordon, Sharon, Skopnik were here, it was just refreshing and it reminded me to pray for them, right? And that's a huge part of it. When we see people, we're reminded to, uh, to, to pray, to support them. And, and hopefully when missionaries come here as well, they also feel uh, like, like they have been refreshed, that they're excited to know that we're behind them and partnering with them in this ministry. And that's why that happens. And that's why it happened here in Acts 14 as well, this time of celebration and encouragement. So we see from the example of the local church in Antioch that uh, ascending church is one who commissions, who supports, and who encourages and celebrates with their missionaries. Well, to close our time together this morning, I want to go back to the question we started with, which is what are the roles of the local church in reaching those who are unreached? And we've seen from our text this morning the answer to that question. Our role is to uh, equip the saints, to affirm God's call on the saints, and finally, to send the saints. These are the things that we are called to do as a corporate body, as a local church, and it's my prayer that we continue to grow in these areas as a church here at Open Bible. But I also want us to take a little bit of time this morning to consider this question. 
We've talked already about what the role of the local church as, as a whole is. But what is my role as an individual for reaching the unreached? We saw not, we didn't just see today a church who uh, equipped, affirmed, and sent. What we also saw were two individuals who were called and were obedient. And that happened after much prayer, after much supplication. They didn't, they didn't just go out on a limb. They didn't just say no. They prayed about it. And I think that this is showing us that our role as individual Christians, whether we're young like little Lillian was, you know, 10 years old. Some of you here are 10 years old or younger or a little older. You know, what if God is calling you to missions? Who knows? It doesn't matter if you're that, that young or if you're like George Mueller, you're 70 years old. Maybe you're being called. Who knows? Our role is to prayerfully consider whether we are being called to global missions. Not just saying, oh, that's not me, I'm not so sure, and not making excuses for why we should or shouldn't go, but rather we should actually continually be intentional in taking time to pray, to ask God, God, are you calling me to the ends of the earth to share the gospel on a global scale? And, and I encourage you to pray that this week and to try to pray that every once in a while, just to seek God and to actually ask, God, am I called? Am I supposed to go? Are you calling me? Is this what you want for me? And if you take the time to seek God in this and you find that the answer is yes, you are called, I hope that, that you can say that you have been well-equipped here in this church. And I hope that we as a church can, can one day soon affirm that call that you feel in your life and that we can partner together in ministry with you as well by sending you out to preach the good news. Because that is what we want to happen here at Church of the Open Bible. We want to be a church like Antioch, who sends and who shares its members with the world at large. We want to grow in our role of reaching the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so it's my prayer, it's our prayer as a church that that would happen, that that would occur. So let's uh, spend some time even just praying about this right now. Heavenly Father, we, we pray, Lord, that we would, we would grow as a church in our desire to see the lost reached with the good news. And Lord, we, we ask that, that if any of us here as individuals are called to go, that we would be like so many in the Bible who said, here I am, send me. Lord, that we would be obedient to the call in uh, on, on our life. And Lord, that as a, as a church, we would continue to grow in, in equipping, that we would continue to, uh, to affirm and to send people as missionaries. And Lord, we thank you so much for the work that you are, are already doing throughout the world. But yet, as we, as we saw earlier, there are so many, more than a quarter of the world, who lives in areas that are unreached that need to, need to hear the gospel. And so, Lord, we just pray that, that you, would, you would send out those who are called to go. Lord, we know that the, the fields are plentiful for the harvest. We just need the laborers. So, Lord, we just pray that you would, you would be sending those laborers and that we, as Christians, would be asking if we are those laborers who are called to go. 
Lord, I, I pray that this would be heavy on our hearts this week. We would consider this question. And I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Go in peace.